Morning, Blue Water. <clears throat> Great to see you this morning. Uh, as we established last weekend, I am Matt. I am a pastor here on staff, and I'm also the church planter. Everyone tracking? Perfect. Thank you. Um, we're going to press pause for the month of December on our amazing Hebrews study, uh, which is great for me because I need to study more uh, before I preach Hebrews. So uh, I get to talk about hope this morning, which I've come to find out as a church planter, uh, hope is church planting fuel. Essentially, you have nothing, and if God doesn't show up, you still have nothing. So uh, this morning, I want to spend some time uh, in the Word of God, hopefully inspiring us and instilling in us a new vigor uh, for what's ahead with hope. And the sermon series, uh, the sermon title today is The Thrill of Hope. I don't know who came up with that, but they're a genius. Uh, that could be an amazing movie to watch. But before we jump in, how would you define hope? And let me give you uh, two categories. Would you define hope as a destination or a direction? I don't know if you enjoy uh, car trips, road trips, plane rides across the world, probably not anymore, um, but before a couple of years ago, you probably did. I didn't. I'm a destination guy 1,000%. I don't really enjoy the journey. I'm a give me NyQuil, knock me out in the back of the car and wake me up when we get there 12 hours later kind of guy. Anyone tracking with me? Oh, yeah. And if you have kids, knock them out all the way, 100%. Right? You don't want them awake when you're driving. Not a journey guy. And those people, you, always, you know those, that person who's like, oh, it's about the journey, not the destination. Hello. Uh, it's about the journey, not the destination. And you want to hit that person? Right? Any Star Trek lovers in the house? No one courageous enough to admit it. Yeah, yep, yep, oh, I'm, yep, I'm seeing you, right? They have this incredible uh, part of the show. Every single episode, somebody's getting transported, right? Right? They get zapped from A to B in a second. Sign me up for that. Here's the problem. That's not really how life works, is it? Especially life in Christ. David doesn't get zapped past Goliath, does he? Often in our journey of faith, hope is a direction and, and, and the expectation of a destination. And so uh, one of the passages that's, that's been uh, strong for me that I want to I hit for you in one second, imagine this with me, okay? Imagine in this carpet in front of you at your feet, weren't, wasn't this grayish, uh, grayish, grayish color? Am I getting this right? right? Imagine it was uh, several different colors uh, and there were like visible paths for you. You could pick a color and you could travel it, okay? Imagine I said to you, follow the yellow brick road. You're going, okay, yeah, I see yellow, not a problem. And then I turn the lights off. I don't know, okay, hit it, boys. Just kidding. They laughed harder at that last night. That's fine. Um, we're not going to turn the lights out. It, there's no windows in here except for that one. It gets dark. You can't see anything. And then I say to you, follow the yellow brick road. How hopeful are you? Okay, buddy, listen, cell phones, follow the instructions. Okay, no cell phones, right? You're, you're actually a step ahead of me here. Let me show you this passage. Psalm 119, 105. <clears throat> 
Um, no, beautiful. There it is. They're, they're, on the, they're on the ball this morning. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Seemingly, maybe insignificant verse, but this one has been life-changing for me in recent months. Here's why. The kind of lamp that the psalmist is talking about is a very light, uh, lightly lit oil lamp. Okay? You would hold it out in front of you, and it would only really give you about a three-foot in diameter illumination. So in this dark room, pitch black, it would kind of just show you your immediate where you are and your next step, and that is all. So in this scenario where it's dark and you have to follow the yellow brick road, if I gave you that lamp, if I said, don't worry, I'm going to help you out, I'm going to help you find your destination, you're like, dope. And then I hand you this lamp, are you disappointed or excited? And if in that moment I asked you, what is your hope? You'd probably say, honestly, dude, that you'd flick the lights on. That'd make this whole scenario much simpler, wouldn't it? And often when we are in the midst of a dark room with not but the word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, it can be frustrating that God doesn't simply flick the lights on. We would hope that he would reveal just the whole journey to us. We'd see all the chairs so we don't bang them, right? We'd see the Lego so we don't step on it in the middle of the night when the baby's crying, right? Anyone ever done that? That's a world of hurt. Mary. I love Mary. Jesus' mother, I'm finding newfound respect for her every time I journey through uh, the New Testament. Not so much that I think we should pray to her, but enough that we should, in fact, view her as a model for faith and faithfulness. And she does something extraordinary that most of the Jewish world does not. Where she's actually okay with the lights being flicked off and not but a lamp. That wasn't one of my jokes, but that's okay. You're good. (laughs) The jokes are coming later. Right, so Mary. Before we talk about the beginning, let's just zip quickly to the end. Okay? Mary and Mary... The Marys are grieving. Why? Because in Mark 16, Christ has just been killed and buried in a tomb. And they're grieving because they haven't really gotten a chance to say goodbye. And they have a singular hope between the two of them. They just want to be in the presence of Christ. Mary just wants to hold her son again, even if that means cleaning and cleansing a dead body. That's all she wants. And so they gather up um, cleaning supplies and perfumes and, and cloths, and they're going to go take care of Jesus' body. And so they, they hurry and they zip along as fast as they can down this road, and then they have this really cool moment where they look at each other and they say, oh, who's going to roll the stone away? Two women together realize that they rolled an incredibly large thousands of pounds rock in front of the entrance to the tomb. I don't care how much you work out, sir, I see you. You're not going to move that stone. And so they have this moment where they're like, oh man, we're dead in the water. Here's what I love. Compelled by their hope 
to be in the presence of Jesus, they don't turn back. They keep going. They press on. They don't go back and recruit a bunch of guys to come and help move it. I can't imagine they're going to plead with a couple of Roman soldiers who are there and ask them to move it. They're actually guarding it so it doesn't get moved. And then what happens? Mary's times two arrive at the tomb in what? Call and response. Come on. What? It's rolled aside. The number one obstacle that they had no hope of moving was an obstacle no more. Holding the lamp, their hope out in front of them, they knew somewhere out there, after some steps, they were going to encounter an obstacle that without God's help they couldn't move, and God had taken care of it. What a model of faith and hopefulness. Let me ask you this question. How disappointed do you think the Marys were? Not at all. Here's the thing. Logically, they could have been. They wanted to be in the presence of Christ. He wasn't there. Bummer. But God's will was better than what they could have hoped for. They were hoping to just be Mary's hope to hold her dead son. God's will, she now gets to hold her risen son. If you had to pick one, which one would you pick? Often, friends, I'm not saying we can't hope. I'm saying we must. Hope is fuel for the Christian. If we don't hope, we're dead in the water. The trick here is to recognize when our hope needs to give way for God's will. Because what he wills for you is better than what you can hope for on your own. Right? God, is God's will not better? Are his plans not better? Let me paint for you quickly another dark room. We're going to stick with this theme for a few minutes. Okay? What is the last of the call and response? Got to keep you awake. You're here at the 830. God bless you. You're more saved than everybody else, but now prove it. You know, some call and response, right? Okay. Last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Okay. Listen, seminary boy. Yes. Malachi. First, someone else. First book of the New Testament. Now we're, yep, someone back, yep, love you, yep. Malachi to Matthew. There's 400 years of history that's not in here between Malachi and Matthew. Where God says and does nothing. To our eyes. Right? The last time he did this was when uh, Israel was in captive in Egypt. Before Moses arrives. Right? God doesn't show up. There's no prophecies. There's no prophets. The Torah's not written anymore. That's done. Nothing's been added. Silence. Now, this is not like the song, Oh, Silent Night kind of silence. We're like, oh, I could live in that. This is a very, like, lots of political upheaval, very distraught time of silence. Right? So it starts like this. Israel, at the end of Malachi, right? They're rebuilding. They're doing their kingdom things. And then after Malachi, they're taken over again. They, they become subservient to another nation again. Persia takes them over. And then after Persia, Greece, Alexander the Great, takes over Europe and uh, in the Middle East. 
After he dies, no one's charismatic enough to hold the, the Greek kingdom together the way that it was, so it falls. And Syria, uh, sorry, Egypt rises up again and takes over Israel. Then from Egypt, the Syrians rise up and take over Israel. You catching a, a nice theme here? Not great. And then we have the Maccabean Revolt. Some of you are probably familiar with that, with that name, that family. They lead a revolt. And there's actually a small season, a small window of Israelite independence. But even that isn't really a celebrated time. It's dark and hopeless. There's lots of political corruption, and no one really knows how to lead, and so the people suffer. And in the year 64 AD, Rome shows up. And during this time of 400 years, the, the Jewish culture and religion is marred, right? So you have the synagogal system appears where you no longer have to go to Jerusalem altogether creating unity. Now you can just go to your local uh, synagogue. And that changes things. The Pharisees show up. The Sadducees show up. And the purity of the, uh, the, the Jewish faith is uh, forever tainted, let me, let me bring this a, a little closer to home for us. Why is this important? Because it defined what they were hopeful for. Yes? What they were hopeful for was political independence and sovereignty. They longed for their Messiah. They poured through the scriptures, the Old Testament, looking at the prophecies of who this Messiah would be from the line of David. Uh, check. David was awesome. He won his kingdom, freedom. We want David back, right? They're going through the list looking, this is going to be a warrior king. He's going to reestablish us. He's going to reestablish our sovereignty as the nation, the kingdom of Israel. This guy's going to be awesome. So what they were hopeful for in a Messiah was a direct end to their immediate difficulty in suffering. So for us, we've been in, what, COVID almost two years now? Let's imagine that two is 400. Yeah, the Cornishes are like, nope. Just imagine for a moment, 400 years. What are you hopeful for? Right? You probably would imagine that God would show up and you would want him to say a certain something to you. Right? So let's paint that picture. The angel shows up to someone you know and you're hopeful he says, let me tell you what you're hopeful he's not saying. I bet you dollars to donuts that I can practically guarantee what you're hoping he says isn't, here's the baby. And then goes to another someone you know and says, here's another baby. After 400 years of difficult silence, God acts twice. He sends Gabriel. Gabriel comes to one couple and then another and says, you're going to have a baby. Is that what you were hoping for? Even if you want a baby, I have three children. Y'all have raised children. Exclusively, babies make things harder. Don't they? Even if it's the thing you want the most, life doesn't get easier after the baby comes. One of my favorite comedians, he has five children, and a reporter once asked him, what's it like having five kids. And he says, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> right? Babies are a blessing. Kids are a blessing. In the 400 years of silence, that's not what the Israelites wanted. And they certainly didn't want who those babies grew up to be. Right? 
John the Baptist, different cat, living out in the wilderness, wearing camel skins, eating bugs. That's God's first act. Did that present come with a return? Messiah grows up, carpenter's son, line of David. He doesn't kill any lions or bears. We have a giant. His name is Rome. That guy's not going anywhere. Where's this warrior king that we wanted? Where's our political sovereignty? Imagine you're hungry, and I come to your house, and I hand you a fistful of apple seeds in a watering can. In the long term, I just did you a solid. In the 50 years leading up to that moment, hmm. What changed in the lives of the Israelites after the announcement of these two babies? Nothing. What they were hoping for didn't come to pass. Here's the catch. What did come to pass? Better. God didn't come to establish the physical kingdom that is Israel. Friends, kingdoms rise and fall. I just named five for you. Rome, that once spanned the entire planet, now one city in a country that's been on fiscal ruin for years. Kingdoms rise and fall, except one, God's. His kingdom will never fall. And his promise, his covenantal promise, was the establishment not of Israel, the kingdom of God. Is that not better for eternity? The problem for many Jews and what separates Mary and makes her special is they missed what God was wanting to do for them because he showed up in a way that they didn't want. They wanted the lights flicked on, they wanted to see all the difficulties, and they wanted them rolled away. And God handed them a lamp. They were unable to accept the Messiah because they got a Savior that was going to save them in a means they didn't want. So Luke 1, what makes Mary special? This angel shows up to a young woman. At this time, in this context, the hope, staying with that word, the hope for a young woman was to find uh, was to be found a suitable match in a husband. How do you get a husband? Don't be pregnant. That's, that's one. Avoid scandal. Right? Be a virgin. And we'll find you a husband. By, she has a suitable match. Joseph, great guy. Lovely Jew. Loves the Lord. Obeys the commandments. Suitable match. Here we go. Angel shows up. Listen, Mary, you're highly favored. Don't be afraid. Imagine a spiritual being that's made of fire telling you not to be scared. <laughs> Fat chance. I watch the Grinch. I get a little scared. Right? Angel shows up. You're going to have a baby. And Mary goes, cool. Uh, after I get married, love to have some kids. No, 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 no. Right now. This moment. Not by Joseph. By the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for a woman, now she's getting pregnant, not by her husband. How do you explain that? Oh, I'm still a virgin though. Who's going to buy that? Her husband being the good Jew that she knows that he is will disavow her for his own uh, holiness. If he's a great guy, he'll do it quietly. If he's a bad guy, arrogant guy, he'll do it publicly. She could get stoned 
all of a sudden, this hope that she has cast asunder. Bless you. By saying yes to God, by, by submitting to the will of God, she is essentially throwing away all of her hope. Unless her hope is God's will. And so she says, the angel tells her this great news, and then, uh, next slide. She says this amazing thing there at the end. May your word to me be fulfilled. May God's will be done. She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who got visited by the angel the first time, and she got the first baby, the locust eater, right? They have a visit. There's this amazing exchange. You ever felt a baby kick, women, in you? Yeah? Gentlemen, you ever felt a baby kick? You ever felt one jump for joy? Imagine that for a sec, right? Babies have this moment. Fetus John jumps in his mother. The glory of Christ even then, so profound, fetus John has a Holy Spirit moment. Mother filled with the Holy Spirit drops prophetic bars, declares all these things about who Jesus is going to be, and Mary's like, what is happening? And then she writes this song, and if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, we want to spend a few minutes in Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. So we're just going to read this uh, together and then go through it. Um, Verse 46. I'll give you guys a minute. 30 seconds. 10 seconds. 8 seconds. Here we go. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Here's what I think is uh, two things about this song that are remarkable. One, as we go through it, you're going to see the tension between humility and pride. And God's response to humility and God's response to pride. And I will submit to you this, that the ultimate form of humility is when we let go of our will and submit to his. One. Two. Here's here's the second thing. This song is incredible because it's historic. It's in her time current. And it's also prophetic. She's declaring things that God has done. She's declaring things that God is doing in this moment through her, through this baby. And she's prophetically declaring all these things Christ is going to do. Let's spend a few minutes uh, going through this. So uh, let's read the first couple of verses here. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Okay? So Mary recognizes here in verse 46 that her primary role is to glorify God. Deep down, even in her soul, she brings glory to God. Humility. She recognizes here in verse 47 what most Jews don't later on. That through what God is doing in her, through her, through Christ, he is fulfilling the role of Savior. Two things about this that are important. One, it takes humility to recognize we need a Savior. We don't do that very well. Couples, the pickle jar that you can't open. Ladies, you try. Can't quite get it all the way, right? You just can't get it to budge, so you call your man's in the room. He shows up. He cracks that bad boy, no problem. What do you say? Is it, thank you, you're so strong, I love you? No, you say, oh, I did it most of the way. You basically just got it to the finish line. I'm the one that got it there. Right? Even when we want a savior, we have a hard time recognizing we can't do it without one. The second thing, it takes even more humility to recognize that the savior you need isn't necessarily the one that you want. And how he shows up is better. Verse 48. The, <clears throat> the word here, mindful, I love this word. It means he sees he pays attention to. God sees you. God pays attention to you. He's mindful of you. That's mind-blowing to me. Sovereign Yahweh, creator of all things, sees you and you. Not Brandon, but all of us in here. The word servant here, love this word. It's better translated, in my humble opinion, as bond slave. Now, slavery for us is different than what they're talking about. In Jewish culture, if you didn't have a job and your family needed food, as all families do, you could essentially for seven years until the year of Jubilee, you could cancel your freedom and go into someone's home and serve them. So what Mary's saying, she's not saying she's literally his bondservant. She's speaking in metaphor. She's saying, I am surrendering my freedom, my will for yours. You see, you pay attention to those who submit under your will and authority. God pays attention to those who surrender. 49. Mary recognizes that God has done, what God has done to her and through her, even though it makes her immediate life much harder, is actually a great thing. Because she wants his will, and because it's being established and accomplished through her, She's ecstatic. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I love this word fear. Bible says 365 times we're not to be afraid. And then tells us a couple hundred more that we're to fear God. Be afraid of one thing. God. What does this word mean? It means reverent awe means to be blown away, struck with amazement by someone, and a little bit terrified. Like the way I see my father-in-law. My father-in-law, Paul Kilbeth, amazing dude. This guy is the most handy fella I've ever met in my life. He can fix anything, build anything. He's also way bigger and stronger than me. 
So I know that there's a line, right? Love me some Paul Kilbreth, a little bit terrified. We're to reverently fear, be awestruck, and a little bit terrified of God. His mercy, he's full of it. It falls on those who fear him. 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Again, so now Mary's switching from talking about how God shows up for the humble and just switches over here to the proud. Uh, This word uh, scatter, think of wheat and chaff. He is separating the fearful, those who want his will, who surrender to him, and those who do not, those who are unable to because of their own selfish hope. 52 and 53, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. So now she is contrasting rich and humble, the, the, the prideful and, and, and the humble. So uh, again, I've never done this, so if I'm wrong, don't correct me because you're going to ruin my next two sermons. Um, <clears throat> but if you were to separate wheat and chaff, I would imagine you would take the wheat, the thing that you're trying to get, you'd put it in a basket and you would lift it up and you would take it with you. And the chaff you would leave low on the floor. So when God is mercifully looking, he's seeing, he's looking for and separating, lifting up the humble, those who submit to him in his sovereign will, and he's leaving on the floor those who do not. And then uh, in verse 53, he's talking, she's talking about justice, God's justice. He sees your needs. He does. And his heart is full for you. It is. And we trust and our hope is that we will not go without any good thing. And lastly, verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is incredible for, uh, as we talked about before, because Mary recognizes that Christ, the coming, her coming son, God's son, is the long-awaited Messiah. And the fulfillment of the covenantal, prom- covenantal promise to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. The thing that God always promised to do, he's doing. And it's not looking exactly like they thought it would, but it's better. So the way that we show humility to God, I think, is how and what we hope for. I, I, I don't know all of your stories. I'm betting someone in this room standing in the middle of a dark room right now. God sees you. His hope for you is better than what you hope for for yourself. Stop hoping that the lights get flicked on. His word is the lamp unto your, your feet. It'll show you exactly where you are. And in faithfulness and hopefulness, Cling to his word, and it will show you your next step. That boulder that's in front of you, don't worry about that. He will take care of that. Why doesn't God just flick the lights on? Imagine a four-year-old David who knows that someday there's a giant. My son, four years old, love him, gorgeous boy, gift to me, big, 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 big-time gift to me. 
Every night I tuck him into bed after he punches me in the throat because he's that guy. And I say, son, my life would be boring without you. He watches Home Alone. He's scared. Dude, the, the bad guys get hurt a bunch. It's hilarious. They lose. What are you afraid of? He's afraid. Imagine if God told four-year-old David there were lions and bears and a giant. That kid wouldn't sleep. Right? No. Before there were any of those, there was a flock of sheep. God will reveal to you in time what you need to know because he wants you to be successful. Cling to his word and let his will be your hope and trust that what he hopes and wills for you is better than you could dream up. So as we approach the end of 2021 and enter into 2022, I know, crazy, may we, Blue Water Church, be a church of people who pray and declare and stand firm in thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you, give you thanks and praise for who you are. We thank you for Jesus, because Jesus took care of the giant we couldn't. Jesus moved aside the stone that we can't move. You deserve all the glory and praise. You deserve our lives, and God, we give them to you. Because your will for us is better than the hope that we could dream up on our own. So, Father, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, I pray that you would speak life, breathe life and encouragement into them. Inspire them, God, to good works. Inspire them to approach your word, surrender to your word, and use it as their sword, their shield, their lifeline. Because it will reveal what's coming next as we need to know. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just uh, bolster and strengthen up the courage and fortitude of my family, my church family, Blue Water family. Yeah, we love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. You are loved.